Hello and welcome to the Arrow Video Podcast with Sam and Dan. My name is Dan Martin, piss scientist. Yay, you finally Yay, got it in there. <laughs> uh, special effects artist, podcaster, blah, blah, blah. I am joined, as ever, by my beautiful co-host. Sam Ashurst, and I'm a, a director of films, I'm a writer of words, and I make weird YouTube videos at Deep Cut Videos. And today I'm here to talk about Ring, Dan, Ring. Not Ringu, Ring. No, Ring. No, ring. Ringu's not a word. It's not a Ringu word. Ringu is... Not in is, Japanese or English. No, Ringu is the word ring written using the Japanese phonic alphabet system pronounced in a Western way. And it wasn't what the film was called mm. until Gore Verbinski ruined everything. Yes. <laughs> well, he made The Ring, didn't the he? The Ring. Yeah. Goes Whereas back to our just... Street Fighter, The Street Fighter exactly. <laughs> conversation from last time. I can understand why people say it, because that's how it's written, but just don't. It's yeah. ring. Well, but it's not. But it shouldn't be written that way. Like, no. That's not how it was written in Japanese. Either, no, I know. They, don't, they didn't use that alphabet. There's no word. There's that's no word the for thing. that in Japanese, yeah. so um, it, it's meaningless. Welcome anyway. to Pedant Cast. <laughs> hey! Come on, as if you don't love that shit. Um, yes, dear sweet Arrowhead, we're here to talk about ring, uh, as we may have mentioned. Dan, what on earth is this wacky film about? Uh, so Ring is about a lady journalist who is investigating a recent spate of weird uh, young person deaths and finds out about a video cassette that uh, it seems has... Uh, it's just referred to as like the monster tape or the horror tape. And it seems that after watching it, uh, you like everyone who sees it dies. And she starts investigating it. She finds it at a hotel... Uh, and watches it without realising what she's getting herself into, and now she has seven days to either lift the curse or solve the mystery, uh, or she will die. And how does she lift the curse? We're going right to the end, are we? Well, well, she sort of accidentally lifts the curse at first. like she. Oh, no, no, not, not... So what is set into the mythology of oh, this tape? Oh, right, OK. Well, so that's what... When I say lift the curse, I don't mean... I mean, I guess I do mean that, because I also said solve the mystery, and that's the other one. So... Lo- Basically, in the grand tradition of, of ghost movies, that uh, like a, a spirit is pissed off, and maybe you can calm it down a bit by bringing to light the unfortunate circumstances of its demise, right? Like that's yeah. a, that's a thing in ghost, but ghost I, movies. I, I, yeah, but yeah, no, I know what you're getting. Okay, at. good, good. You're getting at if she shows someone else the tape, then the curse jumps to them. Yeah, and and it's kind of yeah an update of like the Night of the Demon style passing yeah. on the rune style thing. And uh, incidentally, I, I do need to make clear when I said in the intro, "What's this wacky film about?" I am being uh, kind of sarcastic because for me, at least, this is one of the most terrifying films ever made. Yeah, it's, um, it's genuinely horrifying. Yeah, when when I first, I will literally never forget the first time I watched this film. I was at home uh, visiting my parents in Devon uh, and actually they'd gone away so I was looking after the house on my own in the middle of the countryside um, with all the lights off, no street lamps, nothing. The only light in the entire house was the television and I decided to watch this film on headphones for some reason. Good. You know, just to add to the intensity and it was playing on Channel 4 and so even though it had ad breaks... 
um, which included the Stella Artois stings that oh, were several decibels louder than the film Didn't you were some watching. Did actress phone up to Channel 4 to complain about the adverts being louder than the, her film? I bloody hope so, <laughs> because it was, was incredibly annoying. Like, you got a jump scare every seven minutes or whatever it was. But even though there were ad breaks, it didn't break the tension of this incredible, incredible movie. And it's kind of great that, certainly in the West, we came to it through... DVD, um, we watched it on tellies, you know. Yeah, well, so I think that's part of the magic. Getting ahead, I, I want to talk about the my, my first watch as well, because it is one Good. of those films, especially if you saw it before the remake and before the massive slew of uh, sort of very derivative films started to come out. Yeah. It was like something, you'd, nothing you'd ever seen. It was an absolute game changer, and it was totally. just amazing. Yeah, yeah, that's um, literally in my notes, game it, changer. Yeah. It, it's, but it is one of those films that feels a little bit of its time, not in any way to dismiss the, the reissue, which is astonishingly beautifully handled, but because it was designed to be watched on a TV, mm. because it was designed... Like, the, the sound design uses the noise of a leaking cathode ray tube yeah. as, a, as an element of discomfort. And it, it very much um, played around with the idea of, look, the, the killer is to sort of the television mm. and you have one of them in the room with you right now not only that you've just watched the video and like, and we showed you the video that's yeah. what's genius about it yeah i would uh when the tartan i think it was tartan dvd came out in the uk when the tartan dvd came out as an extra feature it had the whole the whole film yeah like because you actually don't see all of it in the context of the movie you yeah, see yeah. most of it yeah but they released that they sort of cut the whole thing together and put it on as an extra feature uh and i would uh copy it onto tapes and leave it in sam goody <laughs> <laughs> of course you did yeah, yeah you know because i'm a prick <laughs> <laughs> um i was i was uh not that dissimilar to you i saw it alone on a like a 14 inch cathode ray tube tv mm. uh, which was a great way to watch it our, our our mutual dear friend Tony Clark mm. of, of psychotronicstore.com.com. dot com yeah let's let's yeah. say that dot co uk dot com give it a go um, <laughs> you've got the internet you know you, how it works. you know how these things work <laughs> listening to our podcast he had a Japanese cassette of it way before it came out in the UK mm. uh, and I had an NTSC player uh, so I got to watch it and oh my Christ I was it was one of those ones where every now and then you see a film like either, nowadays it'll be because we've seen it at a festival or something mm-hmm. like that you see a film before the general public do yeah. and you, you're like you have to see this film oh cool cool how do I see it you can't yeah. you have to yeah, exactly. you must it, um, like you see these films at festivals and you're like oh my god this is the greatest film I've ever seen and then it never gets released in this territory oh and it's so frustrating god, so frustrating yeah. I think I've mentioned it before but there's a I think it's Ukrainian maybe thriller called Klopka yes The Trap yeah I bang on about this occasionally it's, it's, it's another one of these where it just never came out Yeah, I want it so badly yeah, yeah. I've got some good Japanese examples as well which I'm sure I've mentioned before as well but whatever anyway um, I was so desperate to show everyone this and then I think the first time it was available to show in England by then Ring 2 had already come out in Japan and the Harbour Lights Cinema in Southampton which is a lovely art house cinema if you're ever in the area it's Mark Kermode's favourite Cinema, I said. Um, It's a lovely little indie cinema. Cool, Um, I love Mark. (laughs) That's not going to make any sense. (laughs) Carry on. Um, uh, Yeah, and uh, but they did a double bill of one and two, so it was about the time that one was just first coming out in the UK. But one and two, like, so no one I knew had seen either, and I don't. I might have seen two, but obviously I've definitely seen one. But I dragged a whole bunch of people along to see it, and. 
they were scarred. Mm. It was that's the thing. Like even on a on a big screen, mm. and it is one of those ones. And we, I think we've talked about um, last horror movie before. Mm-hmm. You remember that? Yeah, I, I saw it at uh, Fright Fest, I think. And I always thought it was a little bit of a shame to have seen it on the big screen yes. because it works so well. Like the concept of that is, you've rented a different movie. You've, you've rented a movie called The Last Horror Movie, and it starts, and you see like the first five minutes of it, and then there's that like fuzzy snow where a tape's been recorded over, mm. and it's a, a, a serial killer follows people home who've rented or bought this tape uh, and murders them and films it, and then he takes the tape and he puts it back in the shop, and then and so you're watching this catalog. You don't necessarily realize that immediately, and it's a really great idea that works really well if you're watching it on VHS. Mm. It doesn't work with DVD, and it doesn't work in the cinema, because it has to be a re-recordable mm-hmm. medium that you have taken home. Totally, yeah. Um, and I think that as, as great as Ring is now, with flat screens and as great as it was in the cinema, it's really at its punchiest being watched on a 14-inch cathode ray tube mm. TV on your own, knowing nothing about it. And yeah, with headphones, maybe. Totally. Well, you know, don't don't... Do, maybe don't do that. That was a step too far, and you know it did scar me for <laughs> probably for life. But um, yeah, and I kind of I always find it kind of a miracle that found footage films do as well as they do or did when it was a thing at the cinema. Because controversial opinion, folks, I love found footage. I really there are so many found footage movies that I absolutely love, but they all work better at home yeah. um, for me anyway. Yeah, and I wonder, did Ring invent? the found footage genre in a sort of weird kind of way we're going to talk about all the other things yeah true (laughs) sorry reinvigorated it no no no, i'm talking nonsense um but uh what isn't nonsense is the fact that this essentially not even essentially definitely launched the j horror brand it was kind of sorry that's right it was kind of the first huge international hit and it was part of a kind of change for the genre in in general in Japan. Um, a lot of stuff before this had been a lot more, do you think it's fair to say, kind of intense and gruesome? And we ent- entered a kind of... It had been building up to Ring, like there are other examples, but, yeah, it, it was kind of a turning point in terms of going for the more classic ghost story style movies would you say that's fair yeah i mean it's definitely uh it's very staid Mm. there's no jump scares exactly it's all about mood atmosphere uh, atmosphere and foreboding tone um yeah and it's really effective it's it's yeah it's it's absolutely fantastic and it's all there in the filmmaking it's in the sound design as dan mentioned it's also in like there's that shot where it's a lot of simple things but yeah there's that that wonderful shot where we just hold on the tv in the empty room like just after she's watched the tape and she kind of leaves the room but we stay in the room and we're just looking at the tv and it's just such a simple shot but it's so menacing and it just really hits home the fact that oh shit something has been unleashed or something is on the way um yeah it's just really smart filmmaking it's yeah, it's fantastic. Uh, I do think it's it's more about the sound design than anything else. It's so the sound is so good. I, it I plays with things that you don't necessarily realize are part of the film. I I agree. Yeah, the sound design is astonishing, but it's you know it's all it's all like you can't say that this 
and I don't think you are saying that this film isn't astonishing visually. Oh, no, not like, at all. It's, the, it's the, all the, amazing. Yeah. I just think that if you had to choose one thing that does the most work, it's the sound. I'm going to say it's the visuals. <laughs> Good, <laughs> we finally got an argument. Yeah. <laughs> well, like, it's just that unforgettable image of, of her coming towards the TV and coming out of the TV. Just obviously fucking incredible. Yeah. I, well, I think on the visual side as well, because it was one of the first uh, like sort of foreign language film, foreign language genre films to break the box office in America mm. well, uh, well, in the West in general, yeah. uh, it was... It was quite an interesting new aesthetic. And I, we touched on this when we were talking about Pulse. But in Japan, they shoot more on Fuji stock. Mm-hmm. And in America, they shoot more on Kodak stock. Kodak yeah. stock leans more towards the warmer tones. Fuji stock more towards the cooler tones. Yeah. And Jay, whether that's the reason or not, J-Horror always had like a sort of a bluer, grayer, greener tone to it than the American horror films that yeah. had that sort of like rich candlelight orange colour to it. Mm. And so it did feel like something completely unique. It did feel like something completely new. And in, in exactly and, and that that aesthetic really suits films about, you know, people being haunted or, you know, decay. Yeah. It, 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 it feels like the film itself, there's something possessing it or there's something yeah, absolutely. seeping into the well, images that you're looking at. Blue and green light makes people look dead. Well, that's as simple as that. Yeah, like it didn't. I think I read something that there's like uh, some local police in England are starting to put like slightly blue lights in places where teenagers congregate because it makes their skin look shit. So they, <laughs> they won't hang out there because they all look oh, awful that's in this unflattering light. They've finally done it. <laughs> that's incredible. Um, yeah, and uh, in terms of like where it sits in in horror for me. Um, Ring stands shoulder to shoulder with Nightmare on Elm Street and Candyman. Um, and I think that it's kind of has a spiritual relation to those films. Absolutely. Yeah, in that they're kind of both like with Nightmare on Elm Street, which for me has the greatest horror concept of all time, um, which is he gets you if you sleep. And yeah. yeah, it's just genius. Everyone sleeps, everyone has nightmares occasionally. It's just fucking brilliant and and so yeah rings concept where you watch the tape she comes to get you also genius because that's what you're doing you're sitting there experiencing it and you know that's what terrified me um i i can't remember if i made this up not made it up because you know as, as 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 you well know i i'm very honest but um I can't remember if I imagined this, this or not, but I'm pr- almost certain that the phone rang at my house after I watched the entirety of this film, and I shit myself. Didn't literally shit You're myself. You're not the only person to have said to to have that story. I think so that that's why I think I might have made it yeah. up or imagined it. <laughs> but um, you know, print print the legend, print the the cliched legend. <laughs> um, Dan, you were going to say something about Nightmare on Elm Street. Oh well, you, well I think that the it's interesting that you so you put it neck and neck with those two films. Both of those films have a wronged villain. Yep. And Sadako falls very much into that mold. It's interesting to think about how much um, Hideo Nakata changed from the book when mm. he adapted it for the screen, when it was adapted for the screen. Yeah, gender switching everything. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the well two gender switches mm. sort of i don't know if anyone's read the book it's really worth it it's really uh, really worth um checking out but uh, i won't spoil it too much by talking about the differences in the last act but but yeah the main difference is the gender of the protagonist and nakata's always yeah. been quite uh, interested in the um in the sort of the the position of women in 
in society, particularly mothers yeah. in Japanese society. Yeah. Uh, and that's present in a lot of his stuff. But I think that's also because it seems like there just tends to be more female-centric mm. um, horror in Japan in general. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, for me, the scariest horror films, and, you know, a lot of them do it, they invade safe spaces. Um, they sort of take place in the home. It's one of the reasons I love most found footage stuff or a lot of found footage stuff because, you know, it invades all of those kind of safe spaces. Um, and obviously Nightmare on Elm Street does that as well. And and Candyman to a certain extent, you know, with the mirror, it's, you know, it, it's it's a monster that comes from something that's in the house, basically. Yeah, it makes um, it relatable and it makes things that you have in your life remind you of the fear that you had when you watched the film. It's so just, it kind of yeah, exactly. self um, Self continues, self perpetuates that. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, I don't know what else I have to say about this did film. Did you listen other to the audio Oh, did I? I um, Do you not like it? No. Oh, I love the audio commentary. It's I like hated a, it. It's, it's, it's like nothing I've ever heard. It's. It, I tell you what, it's exactly like something I've heard. It's like a fucking audio book. It was. Yes, it's very much like an audio book. Same tone, same pitch, yeah, and same. It, I've never complete irrelevance never to what's going to an on audio on the screen. That felt so much like it was being read off a page. Exactly. Yeah. So that's what annoyed me, and um, and it was just like if if you do want to learn about J horror from a slightly askew perspective, because he does say, basically, he says that everyone's wrong that Ring started J-horror. But what does he think? That, what did he say he thought started J-horror? Well, he doesn't name a film. He, he's, <laughs> he's basically saying, right, what he believes we believe is that by saying J-horror that we mean that Japanese this was horror. the first ever Japanese horror film. Uh, yeah, and and he goes and through the whole history. Yeah, exactly they are. Exactly. So, um, yeah, okay, I'm going to calm down now. <laughs> Please do listen to the magnificent audio commentary. I, I, I really, hated it. I really enjoyed it. Good. But it isn't like a normal audio commentary. It's no. very weird. Yeah. And, and the most frustrating thing of all is that, okay, fair enough, this is just some guy reading a lecture while the film plays out. Okay, fine. But then it gets to the tape, um, and he goes, right, um, well, you're about to watch the tape play out, so I'm not going to say anything for a bit, so you can, you know, enjoy that. Sits there in silence, the tape finishes, he goes back into his lecture, and it's like, dude, if you're watching the film, (laughs) talk about maybe two things that are happening in the film, (laughs) and don't go quiet in the bit where you are actually acknowledging that you're watching the film. Anyway, it's fine. It's fine. Did you ever see Even the... with the villainess, right? <laughs> which neither of us made. We made a concerted effort. And to, all I was address. doing was reading out a list of 150 films. <laughs> but I made a concerted effort to, to make sure that it tied in with every screen. single scene on screen. Anyway, fine, good. Do you ever listen to It's a, a great commentary. Do you listen, listen to, to it. the Strange Days commentary, the Catherine Bigelow one? No, but I love that film. Okay, so the I don't know if you'd like the commentary or not. Oh. What the commentary is, is it's a material ridiculous breakdown of exactly how they made it Mm. for the first like 15 minutes Mm. and then it's a lecture she gave just over the rest of the film oh my god but the thing is i still want to listen to that because it's catherine biglow not some guy it's all the pov stuff at the beginning Mm -hmm. and she's talking about how they did it and and like all of the technical aspects of it and she was doing that as part of the lecture Mm. but she only showed the pov sequence and then she did a lecture. The film right, wasn't playing right, behind got her. It, got it, got but it. what they did for the commentary was they took the bit where she's talking about the POV sequence and they spliced that over the POV sequence. Mm. But then they're like, well, rather than doing that as an extra feature, let's just then let her entire lecture play out right. as the commentary. 
It's I, very weird. It sounds weird. I, I would now like to, this isn't on Arrow's behalf or behest, but I feel like I went a little bit hard on the, the young man that did this audio commentary um, because, you know, he's an academic, he's an expert in his field, he was doing his best, he's just trying to live his life. I'm having a rant on a podcast because <laughs> it's fun, but he might listen to this, it might hurt his feelings. I didn't hate it that much. I was doing it for comic effect, and um, I'm sure you're a lovely guy, and thank you for doing the commentary on a magnificent film that you clearly um, care a lot about, um, even if you aren't talking about the scenes as, as they're playing out. Right, <laughs> should we move on to recommendations? <laughs> But before you do that, I've got a shout out for our good friends at Fangoria. Now, as anyone who follows me on Twitter knows, uh, I, you know, as I think all of us in <laughs> the genre of fandom do, have a very, uh, a very long-standing love of Fangoria, which was recently brought to a new level by the fact that they included some of my work on the front cover. I think the most recent issue uh, had the creature I designed for Travis Stevens' Girl on the Third Floor um, on the cover, which is a lifelong ambition realised. Obviously, Fangoria seems to touch and go there, but it's back now and uh, better than ever. Um, it's like a 100-page quarterly edition, and the like. every issue now has like set visits, deep dives, new discoveries. They're keeping ads really minimal, which is really good, uh, and they'd like to make a big point of the fact that it's all printed on collectible-grade paper stock, so nice and thick paper, so it'll last well. Uh, and it's bringing back the uh, or reimagining the classic magazine for a 2019 audience. You'll see familiar names like Michael Gingold uh, and Tony Timpone, uh, and you'll see bylines that will leave your jaw on the floor. <laughs> and it is still print only, just like the old days. So you'll actually have to get yourself to a newsstand or subscribe. So yeah, uh, very nice to have Fangoria back on the shelves. Right, Dan, you go first. Uh, my first recommendation is a 2000 film, uh, from the year 2000. What is a 2000 film? Like, it's from the year 2000. It just sounded weird when I said it. I'm sorry. Uh, it's another Hideo film. <laughs> it's called Chaos. Uh, it's one that didn't, uh, I don't know if it even got released over here. I have a Japanese DVD of it. It was, um, so in 2000, when did Ring come out in England? Uh, 98. Was, was it, it came out in England in 98, did it? Yeah. Really? I thought it was a bit... I thought it was delayed. Oh, maybe... No, yeah, maybe it was a bit later. Anyway, doesn't matter. The point is... Where was I when it came the, out? The J-horror thing had kind of swung, um, and everyone was very excited about that. Mm. Chaos isn't a traditional J-horror. Mm -hmm. It is a Japanese thriller with horror elements. Um, but it's about a guy who is convinced by a woman to help her appear to be kidnapped. Mm. And so he sends the kidnap letter while she stays at his place... And um, and then when he gets home, she's dead. Whoa. So, yeah. <laughs> and then maybe there's some ghosts. What? It's, yeah, it's really it's it's really worth checking out. It's a very, very different kettle of fish to Ring, but it's a great Hideo Nakata film that hasn't had enough play, I think. So, yeah. yeah and if you can track it down, uh, check out Chaos from 2000. That's really good, because he is a, a truly, truly great director. Yeah. He's doing another one. He's doing a film called Sadako. This year. What? Yeah, it's due for release 2019. Oh, I don't know anything more about it. I hope it's better than Ring versus Grudge. Kiyako, Sadako versus... Is it Kaneko, Kiyako? Yes. One of those. Yes. I didn't like that. No, it was, it was bad. It was toilet water. Right, now I am changing my recommendations oh. at the very last minute and I'm doing this in honour 
of film historian David Callat, who is the young man who did the audio commentary. <laughs> um, David, to, to kind of make up for my rant, I'm going to recommend two films that you mentioned on the audio commentary to, oh. to point out to people that, you know, actually is quite fact-filled and interesting. So uh, it, David points out that uh, Robert Wise's The Haunting from 1963 nice. was uh, a key influence on Ring. And it is just, this is me speaking now. Um, it's, it was me speaking before. It's a hugely... These <laughs> are <laughs> your own words. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's a, a hugely influential, really creepy, really kind of unnerving film um, that influenced a lot of directors in the States as well. So um, if you haven't seen The Haunting from 1963 and there's a chance... You you haven't. Me and David would like you to watch that, right, Dad? Next, cool. you said you were going to mention two films. You mentioned, yeah. The next recommendation is going to be the next one. Oh, I see. I thought you were doing a thing where swapping you were them out, mate. Two. Swapping what them out. What are you going to do? For, oh, so um, my my originals were going to be Pulse, uh, which is my favourite J nice. horror movie, um, and we've actually talked about it at length um, on another podcast, which you can go back and listen to if you haven't listened to it yet. It's one I'm most proud of. I, I love that that podcast that we did and that film. Um, and then I was going to do a fucking bonkers recommendation, which was La Silence de la Mer from 1946, for the reasons that, the very vague connective reasons that, um, a, it's astonishing, so I'll take any opportunity to recommend it, and B, it's about a monster that invades a home and um, it's a kind of very faithful rendition of a book um, with, with slight changes. So uh, it kind of, for me, in my mind, that works. But I'm, I'm not doing those. I'm, I'm doing, it's all right. doing another one. Give me all the ammo I need to go over two films. <laughs> I knew it. <laughs> oh, oh, Sam, Sam. I was like, this oh, is Sam, weird. Could you mention some more films? This is weird. Dan doesn't normally ask me to mention more films. Oh, he must be being really nice today. No, he has an ulterior motive. Well, you're doing four and I'm only going to do three. Okay, fine. So what have you got? Um, well, so it was a... I'll, I'll do them together and I'll do them quickly uh it it was tight between these two i i like one of them more than the other but one of them feels the other one feels more appropriate i like them both so mm. the one that didn't feel like a super appropriate match but it's one of my favorite of the japanese horror films and again it's almost not j-horror it's more, almost just a japanese horror film um is uh, uzumaki from mm. 2000 directed by a chap called higuchinski mm. which is a one name like a one word name not directed a huge amount of stuff uh, it's a really stylized uh, comic adaptation. It's based on a comic by Junji Ito, yeah. who's a fantastic and very prolific Japanese comic artist. It was uh, It's a four-volume comic. The movie was made before the fourth volume was published, so it has a very different ending to the comic book because mm -hmm. they just did their own thing. Um, but it's absolutely fantastic. It's about a town that gets cursed by spirals and the concept yes. of spirals yeah. and everything gets all twisty yeah. It's, yeah it's fantastic it's um it's almost it's slightly episodic because it's based on a, a comic um but it starts off with little things like a guy getting all excited by like spiral shapes in his soup and ceramics and all that kind of stuff and then you see his face and his eyes are just turning in opposite directions mm. and by the end of it the streets are rearranging themselves mm. into into spirals it's a great film and very very weird it was on my long list but i just knew in my heart that you would do it so yeah, well, i took good, it off because I, I know how much you love that film and and 
the source material as well. Oh, so, yeah, absolutely. They're yeah. just beautiful books. Um, my other one was uh, Sion Sono's, uh, Sion Sono's 2001 film Suicide Circle. Nice. Uh, also called Suicide Club I yeah, think, yeah. in England. Yeah. Um, and that's, again, Great an, recommend. another sort of weird J-horror uh, starts with a whole bunch of schoolgirls jumping in front of a train, mm. like like a load of them just getting pulped. Um, and then it's about a detective trying to find out why these kids are dying. So it has a lot of uh, sort of connections to Ring in that way. But it goes a lot weirder than Ring. Yeah, and and if there was um, a Mount Rushmore of directors of Arrow Video podcast directors, I think Sion Sono would be on there, maybe. Well, um, he's definitely for, for me on the, anyway. He's definitely on the Mount Rushmore of terracotta films, which <laughs> is associated with Arrow. Yes, and they've released a fair number of his. I think yeah. uh, Cold Fish and. I was just talking about the podcast in general in terms oh, the of pod- our, oh, our ours taste. rather than what Arrow yeah, has released. What Arrow. Oh, screw those guys. Exactly. <laughs> They're not yeah, listening no, to he's, this, he's right? incredible. Um, yeah. uh, Love Exposure is one of my favourite films of all time. Oh, it's fucking fantastic. You know that thing we say about we like short films or long yeah. films? Yeah. If you listened last time. <laughs> it's a long one. It's a really long one. It's, uh, it's can, I, can I tell my Love Exposure story quickly? You can. Uh, Cannes Film Festival, uh, the year that Love Exposure came out, I uh, don't really care about the red carpet stuff or the films that are like a big and noteworthy because they're going to get released. I'm going to get a chance to see them. What I want to do at Cannes, I haven't been for years, too busy. Oh, boo-hoo me. Um, uh, what I try to do is I try to see the films that are least likely to, the films that I am most likely to love that are least likely to get releases, in, cinema releases in the UK. Mm. So I have an opportunity to see them on the big screen. Mm. Uh, so I go, uh, a lot of Asian distributors, but I just go down into the market and I try and find films that look like they appeal to me, but don't necessarily have like a wide market appeal. Mm. And I ended up at the Pony Canyon stand, who are their lovely, lovely people. And I said, this, uh, the new Sion uh, Sono uh, picture, uh, Love Exposure, I'd really like to see it. Uh, and they said, very very long. <laughs> it's very long. I know. I still like. To, yeah, I'd love to see it. Okay. Yeah. It's it's very long though. Yeah, but I know. I know it's long. I know what I'm getting into. Can I please? What it took me ages to convince them that I was willing to watch a film of that length. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and yeah, not a moment is wasted. It's. Have a I told that film. story before on the podcast? You've told it to me. Okay. But I don't think you've told it on the podcast. Oh, and and if so, you know, this is a, a best of episode. It's turned into a best of episode. Pulse and that story. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> right. So uh, my next recommendation from uh, me and my good friend David um, is Quidon uh, from 1964. And, you know, it's a film that I love and it's a film that I do associate with with Ring, uh, particularly the first story, to such an extent that... um, Unlike David, I'm, I'm not going to go into detail about how it matches up with Ring. If you want to find that out, either watch the movie or listen to the commentary. Um, but yeah, just in case there's anyone out there who hasn't seen the film. Yeah, it, it, the first story in particular really ties quite closely to Ring. And it's just a fucking beautiful film yeah. uh, in general. Uh, so yes, quite on from 1964. That's it. Good. What have you watched recently, or do I? What do I watch recently? What have I watched recently, Sam? What, what Tell you, me. What have you watched recently? Some weird shit. Uh, yeah, you'd like it if you. It's okay. So here's the thing: you might have seen this. Go on. But if you haven't, you'd love it. Oh. 
It's a 2010 documentary. Mm-hmm. It's called The Man Who Saw Frankenstein Cry. Oh, no, I haven't seen it. It's hosted by Mick Garris, Mm. whose name was all over the poster, but it's directed by Angel Agudo. Uh, It's a documentary about Paul Nashi and his life, Mm -hmm. and it is great. Uh, I've only seen a handful of Paul Nashi films. Our uh, dear friend, two episodes mentioned in a row, Tony Clark. Um, Oh, no, that was this episode. Right, anyway. (laughs) Best of. (laughs) First introduced me to uh, to Nashi. Uh, I've still not seen an enormous amount of his stuff, uh, but he's got a fantastic screen presence. Didn't know anything about his home life and his personal life and his journey into cinema. Uh, it's awesome and fascinating. Uh, yeah, it's just a, a really good biopic documentary. Hmm. That's it. The Man Who Stole Frankenstein Cry. Lovely. Lovely stuff. Um, I will check that out myself. Now, my first recommendation is a revisit. And it's... I'm now concerned that I've mentioned this on the podcast before, but, you know... We're getting to that stage where we're... But you, you can you can tell me, you can tell me. Have I mentioned, and again, you might not be able to tell me because I've probably raved on about this film too in the past, but Elmer Gantry, have I mentioned I, it? Elmer Gantry kept, turned up on my list recently as well and I've, I've got it written down on, as a, a thing I want to watch in the near future. Oh, I can't man. remember why it's come up. Right, I, I'll tell you why it's come up because you watched Sweet Smell of Success yes. then you looked into Burt Lancaster. and It, com- must, it must be a Lancaster thing. Yeah, it, it, that's the connection and I'm glad it's on your list because you would fucking love It'll it. Be a first watch you would me. love it. Um, it's from 1960. It is superb. It's about a travelling salesman who discovers that his talents are suited to preaching. Yes. Um, yes. So yeah, yeah, that yeah. this is partly why it'd be up down the street. And that he can make a good living as an evangelist. It's so current in terms of American politics it could have been made today. Um, Lancaster is superb in the title role and it's a role that people like William Holden and Montgomery Clift were kind of mooted for. And even though I absolutely adore those actors, I can't imagine anyone else doing this role. Um, I expect Elmer Gantry to show up on Criterion at some point in the next couple of years. It's one of those films. And yeah, it's... uh, Well, you know, if you can can snatch it out of their grubby hands. But I... Dear sweet Arrowhead, I'm not going to tell you how I know this, but basically I have a list of all the films that Criterion... I think you've actually mentioned this on the podcast. Right, well, (laughs) I've mentioned it to Dan, but I have a list of all the films that Criterion are going to release one day and Elmer Gantry is on it. So uh, if they do, then come back and tweet me and say that I'm a soothsayer with my special secret list. Give the list to Arrow. Yeah, no, sorry, Arrow. No, you need to pay me a lot of money for my special, special precious list. <laughs> or go back like eight episodes. <laughs> <laughs> right, Dan, what have you got next? Another film, maybe? Uh, yeah, it is another film. It's from 1971 and it stars Peter O'Toole playing oh. an Irishman. Nice. <laughs> Son of an IRA man. Wow. Uh, although that's really like, that's not the story at all. That's right. just like, there's a throwaway line about how his dad told him to make bombs. Right. Because of the troubles. Right, like, yes. Peter O'Toole is doing a very thick and not amazing Irish accent. Uh, right. It's called Murphy's War. Right. I'd never seen it before. It's directed by Peter Yates, who directed Krull and Bullet. Um, <laughs> but mainly Krull. Mainly Krull. <laughs> And I was chatting to uh, my dear friend, Lee Cranston, who I think I probably mentioned before. Uh, we, we recently uh, were working together out in Portugal. Um, and he came and, and worked with me in my studio, which was a, a delight. And we were chatting about film. And I can't remember why Peter O'Toole came up. But he was like, oh, have you seen Murphy's War? That's prime O'Toole. And it really is. Peter O'Toole plays a, uh, a pilot 
who is shot down by a German U-boat um, towards the end of the Second World War, and peace is about to happen. Like the war is about to end, and so he has a, there's a ticking clock for him to get his revenge on this U-boat with uh, like a shitty old biplane that he scraps together on the island and the, and bombs he's making himself. So it's like a one-man revenge mission against a German U-boat, mm. and it's it, it it's in turns like kind of silly and fun and really fucking bleak, mm. uh, and it's a very weird mix. But I really really enjoyed it. Mm. The accent does take some persevering though. Yeah, yeah, it sounds it. Um, interesting. Well, uh, my uh, final recommendation for a while, actually, um, we're going to get onto that in a minute, is a film from the 1930s, from 1931. It's called Riders of the Purple Sage. Now, um, this is a very early Western, and the only print out there is pretty bad. Um, it's got kind of bad sounds that kind of changes with every cut. Um, but, you know, you just watch Ring, so you're fine with, um, you know, weird old videos that sound a bit weird, right? Maybe? I don't know. But um, if you are a connoisseur of early cinema, and if you love westerns, it's kind of a fascinating one. Um, there's some interesting dynamic camera moves, and uh, it's got a fairly generic plot, but... It's still relatively adult for the time, and the way it kind of pays off is quite unique. The ending is quite unique, um, and it's based on a, uh, one of one of the books by uh, Zane Grey, who uh, some of you may be aware of. But if you're not, Zane Grey was a, 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 an author of Western books. He kind of churned them out, and uh, a lot of those books are absolutely incredible. Um, so if you do love westerns, as I do then not only should you watch Riders of the Purple Sage, you should uh, read some Zane Grey books. There we go. Nice. Reading. Imagine that. They can't recommend reading to people. They just reading. read a Japanese film. <laughs> Reading's boring. Um, <laughs> but yeah, please do read a book. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't to Dan. For the love of fucking God, just read a book. Um, good, right, extra features. Extra features. Extra features. So, as some of you know, the uh, the veil of secrecy has been lifted and I am allowed to talk about the last film I worked on and not the film I'm currently working on. So, you know, I guess the veil of secrecy has more been shifted along a bit. Uh, I just finished uh, working on Richard Stanley's uh, Return to Directing, uh, the Colour Out of Space with Nicolas Cage, uh, based on the H.P. Lovecraft story of the same name, of the very similar name. So we wrapped uh, at the time of recording uh, under a week ago. And if you can excuse the slightly wind-muffled noise, I have an interview with Richard Stanley done by the side of the road five minutes after wrapping the film. Oh, wow. So That's incredible. here is me <laughs> standing with Richard in the rain. Wow. Uh, at four in the morning on a Portuguese mountain. Amazing. I can't <laughs> wait to listen to this myself. Talking about, uh, not talking so much about the film, but just talking about coming back to directing uh, and what it means to him to be back in the director's chair. Thank you. So keep warm and dry. And I'll see you tomorrow. You too, man. <laughs> right. Hello, Richard. Uh, oh, hey. Oh, hi. Dad. Yeah, good. I'm excited. Uh, you've wrapped uh, on your third narrative feature probably about five minutes ago. Yeah. How are you feeling? Uh, it's the usual combination of you know being bone tired and 
being glad that it's over and being sorry that it's over at the same time. So it's the t contrary emotions kind of cancel each other out. And <laughs> so ultimately, I guess I'm pretty emotions. <laughs> <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. I mean, it's very late. It's like it's four in the morning. So to adapt Lovecraft, the, the, the script for this, you've, been, you've had for a while. What do you think, how do you feel it all aligned for this project to happen for you? I think whatever weird dark forces were involved um, decided this movie needed to get made. It took a lot of dead people to probably to make it happen. As many of the major influences in this film were dead people. Um, Yurani, the local sorcerer in um, Ren the Chateau, who um, died at the end of last summer, and whom um, the character of Ezra is based on, and Ezra's cottage is a complete recreation of Yurani's house. And I felt him watching over our shoulders a lot during the shoot. He did a. He, he had a copy of the Necronomicon, which was really a um, the Colin Wilson, George Hay um, hoax Necronomicon, rather than the Simon Necronomicon, translated into French, that he believed was a real book of of ancient um, wisdom. And I, I never really had the heart to tell him that it was a fictional hoax. But um, he celebrated Yogg-Sothoth Day once a year and um, did a ritual to Yogg-Sothoth, a very energetic ritual to make this movie happen. And I admit a, um, an electrical storm blew up during the ritual. And I actually have it on video somewhere. Wow. On his Yogg-Sothoth ritual. And um, I hope that that didn't um, mean that he traded his life in to, um, to make this movie happen. But I literally got the news that the film has been greenlit within... Um, pretty much within 48 hours of him dying. So um, wow. yeah, certainly Yurani the Sorcerer is one of the folk that um, seems to have um, <coughs> willed into existence. Um, my mother's ghost is involved. My mom got me into Lovecraft when I was young, probably by reading me the dream quest for Unknown Kadath when I was about eight years old and um, got me into Lovecraft, who was her favorite author. And she's not around to witnesses either, but it's also partially her fault. <laughs> well, and um, yeah, Nick was Cage was channeling his dad, um, Augie, the whole way through, and so um, Nick's dad's ghost hung over it very heavily. His characterization of Nathan was very heavily based on his own father. Oh wow! So there's a lot of yeah dead people looking over our shoulders. Not to mention the different Goths who came here in times gone by. Lord Byron, of course, who is the um, great 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 granddaddy of Katie Byron, our production designer. So there's a direct link there. And um, William Beckford, um, yeah, Alistair Crowley, who was here, of course, in the yeah. um, early years of the 20th century. It's, uh, yeah, so there's a lot of people to do proud. I'm yeah, very excited to see it come together. I feel all those forces somehow came together to draw us to Sintra and um, make, make this project happen. Lovely, beautiful. So yeah, yeah, there you it's go. It's really uh, nice. You, you, uh, depending on how much it got edited for, for broadcast, you will hear the crew driving away from location behind us and, uh, and Richard's being told congratulations by people as they walk past. It's oh, really quite lovely. That's what a thing. What a thing to have. Now, it's, it's slightly... Well, I don't know. Depends on how you feel about me. Uh, it might be a disappointing extra feature uh, this week because uh, I am... Sad to announce that I'm going to be taking a bit of a break away from the podcast. It won't be for a massively long time. It's probably just going to be a month or so, depending on, you know, stuff. Um, but basically, I've, I've had some bad personal news and uh, I need to take a break away from uh, lots of things. So I will be taking a break from the podcast. Uh, which does, you know, make me sad because I love doing it and, you know, I love talking about films with Dan. But, uh, yeah, there's 
just some things that I have to do. Um, but I will be back, um, aiming for June um, for some anniversary shenanigans with, with Arrow. Yeah. Um, but, Dan, would you like to talk about what's going to be happening while I'm gone? Yeah, so we've had a few requests, uh, especially as we get to, uh, closer to the anniversary, for more insight into the, uh, the gears of Arrow. And, uh, yeah, so I think we're going to do a series of, of interview episodes where um, we'll talk to uh, people in the various different stages of Arrow bringing a film to you. Um, and I'll kick those off, and then uh, and then hopefully Sam will be able to join us as those continue. So yeah, we're gonna we're gonna start talking to the different uh, different folk. Uh, I don't quite know who we're gonna start with, but uh, we'll be starting uh, hopefully talking about uh, how the films are chosen, um, and how the rights for that film are sort of tracked down, um, and then we'll move on from there. Yeah, I mean, I you know feel free to ignore me. <laughs> I, I would suggest. We still, you know, the podcast still goes film by film, but you talk to the people involved in that film about, you know, the whole journey of the disc. Look, I'm not going to, I'm not going to intrude. a massive faff. (laughs) (laughs) Right, fine. Um, Dan's going to run it his way. I'm not here to control it. Um, I am letting go, uh, but uh, I will be back. And all Shaw Brothers and Piss in your absence. (laughs) Exactly. And the podcast will return to its normal, you know, we're not going to be doing this forever where it's the, the interview stuff. We will be going back to our normal setup as well, just to make that clear. So, yeah, for the last time for a bit. Uh, before you say goodbye for the last time for a little while, do you want to do your social media and uh, tell people about your YouTube? I, yes, I will. And uh, the YouTube is going to carry on uh, because it's a, a, basically I'm using it to teach myself how to edit because um, as a director, it's very important to know in depth how to edit, uh, even if you're not editing the film yourself. Um, and but the main reason is I actually find it incredibly therapeutic and cathartic. Dan's done a lot of editing himself, and he will probably agree with me that when you sit down and do it, five hours goes by like that. Oh yeah, it's it's like in terms of things that take your mind off stuff, it's quite incredible. So I kind of recommend it to people who you know, if you're able to have access to editing software, if you're going for a tough time, teach yourself how to edit. Honestly, it's it's one of the best ways to take your mind off stuff. Anyway, yes, the YouTube channel. <laughs> now I've made it sound really fun and exciting. It is fun and exciting. Um, it's uh, Deep Cut Videos uh, over at YouTube. And uh, by this point, you will have heard a massive rant about why I hate Jonah Hex. I did a 10-minute rant about hating Jonah Hex and kind of edited the footage to match what I'm saying. So um, please enjoy that. Uh especially if you're missing my voice, because that's all the YouTube channel is going to be, me talking with a bit of um, footage over the top of it. Um, But yeah, I I will be back on this podcast, uh, I promise. Um, I know I'm going to miss it, but yeah, I'm just not in the right place for it at the moment. Enough oversharing. Uh, Thank you so much for listening. And I promise, we promise. We collectively promise. (laughs) Whenever it happens, we will be professional next time. And until then, it's... Just all bets are off. Oh, yeah. It's going fucking crazy. I can't wait to listen. (laughs) All right. Thank you. Thank you, Sam. Bye. Bye.